0: Good morning, my name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church, and for everyone who's gathered in this room or over in our overflow space in the corner classroom, I'm so glad that you're here today. As you can tell from that video, we are kicking off a new series. We're not pulling any punches, no pun intended there. We're going to get real about the struggles that we face in our life and how God is actually inviting us into better battles. And today we're going to be looking at fear, a struggle that all of us are familiar with, And before I get into the the notes and kind of what I have prepared for our time this week, and I want to just pause and acknowledge maybe a fear that you are feeling or it's understandable to feel when you look at the world around you. This week, yet again, we were reminded on a global scale of violence at a senseless and yet at the same time calculated measure as it was broadcast the... A brutal murder of 21 Egyptian Christians, um, murdered for a cause, murdered for their faith, and the world uh, cries out and says, this cannot be. And it's easy in that moment to get caught up in fear, and, and, and there's another story after that, and there's another story after that, and you can't turn on the news or walk out the door without facing some of the reality that we live in just some dark and difficult days. We just, we do. In fact, the reality is that people are suffering, or being persecuted for their faith all over the world, right now today. In fact, you may not know that every 30 days, every month that goes by, every calendar month, about about 322 Christians specifically are killed because of their faith. And anytime anyone is killed for their faith, or anytime, honestly, any loss of life comes at the hand of injustice, people of faith should rise up and say, this is not right. this cannot be. And it's easy when you see that kind of uh, brutality, and specifically as it's related to, in this case, people of faith, to look at your own journey of faith, and maybe for you, you've at times felt not only fear, but also a little guilt, like, oh my gosh, would I do the same? Do do I believe sort of enough to kind of lay my life on the line for what I believe? It's really easy to feel guilty about our struggles that we have. Because think about it, you you came here today without really a whole lot of resistance, right? And we're here in a safe, we're here in a free, a, a warm environment where maybe your greatest struggle is finding a parking spot this morning. And so it's easy to feel guilty. But what we want to do, just I want to pause as a church as one of your pastors for this next moment say, rather than giving into that guilt, I want to lead us to a time of gratitude that we have what we have and we're grateful for the God who provides it and responsibility to pray for those who are being persecuted, for those whose lives are being taken from them senselessly, violently, all over the world. And that's happening right now. And so I want to lead us just through a time of prayer. And if you're kind of new to the faith thing, I think this, that's kind of, you don't know what to pray for. Uh, You can just take this as a moment of silence and just just reflect on kind of the reality of the world we live in and and what it is that brought you here, actually, in the midst of that today. But for those of you who would call yourselves Christians, this is a chance for us to pray for those around the world who are being persecuted, who are being treated unjustly. And I want to lead us through that time, so I'd ask if you would please to open your hands and uh, to pray in your own words to God, those of you who are praying, folks, to just pray for those who are being persecuted. Pray for their faith, pray for their families, pray for their friends, pray for them right now, this moment. And God, it's easy to be overwhelmed by fear, it's easy to be backed into a corner by guilt, but you invite us to something far greater. And so we acknowledge that we live in a world broken by sin, that these are dark and difficult days, but that, God, you are actually greater. And that you are good. And that you are a God who loves justice and is overflowing with mercy. And so, God of justice and mercy, move, we pray. Protect, we pray. Guard, we pray. Provide, we pray. Stir in us, God, we pray. For those of us who claim to be people of faith, would you enrich and embolden our faith as we see that on display around the world. God, unite us with our brothers and sisters and any person, God, who is suffering unjustly right now around the world. We call out to our God of mercy and justice and say, God, will you be Lord over it all? We pray and we trust in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are today looking at fear, something that we're all incredibly familiar with, something that all of us actually face on a very real level. And if you thought maybe you were the only one that's wrestling with some fears, you can take great comfort and encouragement that you are not. Statistically, you know that, but just let me just remind you, you're not the only person that's wrestling with some fear that's going on in your life right now. In fact. A lot of sociologists like to study kind of the effect of fear. In fact, that many have said over the last 20, 30 years or so, honestly, it kind of goes in tandem with the advent of cable television that we've actually created a culture of fear. That we live in and create and foster a culture rooted and even driven by. Fear, fear of just about everything and anything around you. And rather than kind of going through a long list of all the fears, because there are a ton of fears, uh, I read a report recently from the National Institute of Mental Health that kind of looked at the reality of what's behind the fears that we fear, whatever they may be, whatever yours may be. And this is what's so interesting, what they found, that among all the people they pulled, that 90% of the things that you and I fear, 90% of the things we fear, are actually turned out to be insignificant issues. They're actually small and insignificant issues that kind of tend to come and pass and go on about and kind of tend to resolve themselves. But we get our lives all worked up about them. In fact, what they found is that and when it comes to our health and our bodies and all that kind of stuff, maybe you have some fears around that. Maybe you've lost someone or someone you know is struggling with their health. This is what's so fascinating. 88% of the things we fear in relationship to our health will not happen to us in our lifetime. 88% of the things we fear actually won't happen to us. This is what's so amazing. We get ourselves sick worrying about our health when 88% of the time that's not actually going to come to pass. Isn't that amazing? Now I can rationalize and reason with you and give you the stats and the numbers, but, but fear doesn't play that game. Your fear doesn't care about stats and facts and all that kind of stuff because I bet if we were to just sit quiet for 60 more seconds, I bet a fear would rise up to the surface of your soul. Something you're wrestling with, something you're worried about, something you're anxious about, could be very circumstantial. It could be a deep fear that you've carried with you your whole life. All of us carry them in one way or another. We all, every single one of us, struggle with fear. That struggle, just so you know, is real. And it's a very difficult battle that maybe you know all too well. One that honestly you can wonder at times if you will ever win. Will I ever win my battle with fear? especially when I'm fighting against something that doesn't seem to play by any of the rules that I kind of live my life by. Fear does not play by our rules. You cannot rationalize with it. You cannot reason with fear. It plays by a completely different set of rules. We've talked about this before at Soul City, because it's such a powerful force in our lives. This is what fear does. And you might want to kind of jot this down because this is kind of helped me have a framework of what's going on every time that fear rises to the surface of my soul. This is what fear does. This is, what, this is the rules that it plays by. Fear takes a future possibility and makes it my present reality. True? Fear takes a future possibility. And let me just kind of give you a spoiler alert. It's usually the bad ones. It's usually the worst case scenarios. It takes a future possibility of something that may actually come to pass, something that may come in your health, something that may come in your future, a deep-seated fear you have about your place in this world, about whether you're a failure or success. It says, guess what, here's the deal, you might be a failure. You might live an insignificant life, or you might get sick, and it takes that future possibility and it says, this is your present reality. So now you live through the lens of this fear. It takes something that may happen, something that could, might possibly happen, and says, it is. Something that may be so, and it says, oh, it is so. This is exactly what's going to happen. This is what you can count. It takes future possibilities and makes them my present reality. You can't rationalize with that. You can't reason with that. I saw it in Living Color when we were on vacation last month. We had a chance to go on vacation As a family, not a time, tend to be like kind of riddled with fear. You're supposed to be relaxing and calm. But the resort that we went to has an amazing water park in the middle of it. Unbelievable. In fact, it houses one of the top five highest and scariest water slides in the world. It's called the Leap of Faith. Very appropriate title. And when you walk into the pool, the park, the first thing you see at the resort is the Leap of Faith because it's 60 feet high and it goes literally straight down. I'm pretty sure it's straight down, and you can't miss it. And I'm watching grown adults as they're walking in, and people, like, don't even want to make eye contact with the leap of faith because it's so terrifying. It's so intimidating. And as you walk by, you hear people screaming for their lives. I'm talking grown adults screaming for their lives every time they go down it. It's a terrifying thing. As if it wasn't, I don't know if you saw the picture, if it wasn't high enough... That's a leap of faith. And if it wasn't high enough, at the bottom where it finally flattens out, you go through a tank of sharks. (laughs) So if you got fear of heights conquered, guess what? Fear of sharks is coming up. And all that happens in 1.3 seconds. It's ridiculous. Oh, by the way, it's supposed to be fun. That's the idea here. And so I was like, you know what? I got to try this. I got to do this. And so I, I, wa- I walked up in line. I mean, I watched people like get to the top and go, oh, no, no, oh, no. And just get out of line and walk right back down. Because to get in, you have to literally get in and your feet are hanging over and you cannot see what's below you. And so I'm sitting there going, oh, okay, fear is real. Fear is real. And I could, I could have read all the reports, told you how long it's been in operation, told you that they've had no fatalities on this ride or, how, you know, it hasn't broken down. It doesn't matter. You can't rationalize with fear. And I was trying to in that moment until finally the lifeguard blew the whistle and told me I had to go <laughs> in my existential moment with fear. And so I did. And I pushed off and I went down and I loved it. And I laughed the whole way. <laughs> even through the sharks. I laughed at the sharks, and I had a blast, and I came up like, that's awesome. That's so fun. And the reason was because for me, I realized I had to kind of get over that edge and realize, okay, well, maybe fear isn't as powerful of a force as I thought it was in my life. And anytime we tend to talk about fear, there's a lot of feelings that come to the surface. And for a lot of us, our fear of being a failure is stirred by our fears. And if I have fear, then I'm a failure. I'm not strong enough. I'm not brave enough, I don't have enough courage in my life. And especially when we say, okay, we're gonna talk about fear in church and you come to a book like this, that's probably one of the presumed assumptions we have is that God tells you to just get over it. And in fact, a book like this, maybe you believe, is filled with a bunch of people who are fear overcomers and that the reason they even made it into this book is because they had so much courage and they conquered their fear. It's actually the exact opposite story. This book is filled page after page after page after page with people who faced fear just like you and me. The struggle of fear was real since the beginning of humanity. Adam and Eve, after they first sinned and turned their backs on God, realized what they had done and what was their first response. They ran and hid from God, afraid of God. God promised Abraham and Sarah that they would be the parents of a great nation that would one day become Israel, but they had no children and they were afraid they never Would have children. God calls Moses to lead that great nation out of bondage. And and Moses says to the very face of God, I don't think I'm qualified. I'm not good enough. I'm not spiritual enough. There's blood on my hands. I cannot possibly do this. And he goes even further and says, And I don't think you're going to go all the way with me. Fear is all throughout these pages. King David, one of the greatest leaders in all of human history, not just the Bible, all of human history, King David spent a season of his life. In fact, a good portion of the book of Psalms are written from a place of fear, running for his life from King Saul, afraid that God would not protect him. Even Jesus' own disciples, at his greatest hour of need, when he was arrested and falsely tried and led to the cross, which was the plan all along, for fear of their life, they ran and hid. I mean, they were with God, and they were still afraid. So this book is filled with people just like you and me and with the struggle of fear. And what I want to do is just take a moment to just look at a snapshot of a better battle that God is actually inviting you and I to fight. So if you would grab a Bible, please, and open to Jeremiah 17. We're going to go back to the Old Testament. Jeremiah 17. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of these gray Bibles. I want you to see this. This is a beautiful picture that is painted in this passage. And in the gray Bibles, it's page 537. So here in the overflow as well, there should have a Bible in your seat back, page 537, in this, and it's uh, Jeremiah 17. Let me give you quick context. This is the story in the Old Testament basically goes like this. People follow God, people forget God. People follow God, people forget God. God is faithful, people forget. God is faithful, people forget. This is the story of the Old Testament. I just summed up the entire Old Testament for you. That's pretty much it. Four years of Bible college, you just got it in 30 seconds. So that's the idea there. And this is another one of those stories. They are in a place where they are afraid that their greatest enemy, the Babylonians, is going to uh, defeat them, conquer them, and enslave them. And what's amazing over the book of Jeremiah, this, these words from God through the prophet Jeremiah, guess what happens over the course of this book? They, actually, they get captured by the Babylonians. They are defeated by the Babylonians. It actually comes to pass. So this is in one of those places where they are riddled with fear about what their future holds. And God paints a picture for them, and I believe for you and me, of what a life of fighting that battle of fear looks like and what a life in a better battle with him really looks like. So let's look at verse 5. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. We'll jump right in. This is what the Lord says, and it starts with a really strong word. Cursed is the one who trusts in man or who trusts in humanity, who trusts in their own strength, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Let's hit pause and keep that up on the screen for a second. That word cursed, that might get your attention. What is God saying here? God, is, is God giving a curse? Is God saying, I'm going to put a curse on you, like a spell on people who do this? No, actually what he's saying is this life is a cursed life. This life is a less than life. God's saying, I'm not the one doing that to you. When you choose to rely on your own strength, on your own flesh, and your heart turns away from God, this is a less than life. A stronger word might be a cursed life, a life of constantly banging your head up against the wall a life of fighting a battle that you can't win. So God says this, it's a curse, it's a less than life for the person who only trusts in themselves, who draws their strength from their own abilities and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Think about your battle with fear. Have you become so consumed with the battle, so overwhelmed with the battle and believe that your job was to white knuckle your way through fear? How many of you have ever tried to talk yourself out of fear? How well has that worked? Or had someone else say, why are you afraid of that? It's just a water slide. Go down. How much does that help? (laughs) And what ends up happening is that then we we, we get so consumed, we get so overwhelmed believing that it's our job by our strength to fight against our fears or whatever battle may come up against you. (laughs) Jeremiah goes on, he says, let me paint you a picture of what this life really looks like. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. So. Think pre-tumbleweed, like seconds before it becomes a tumbleweed. That. The person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They won't even be able to recognize it because they're so focused on doing it all on their own strength. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. That is a powerful picture, isn't it? When we become consumed with our own strength and believing that the battle is ours that we have to fight against our fears and out kind of talk our fears out of us or just kind of push through and just you know kind of do it on our own strength. This is what life actually looks like. Anytime that we do that, we end up exhausting ourselves and drawing the life out of us fighting against fear. We become consumed actually with it. Have you ever found this to be true of your life, that this future possibility becomes the only thing that you're actually thinking about to the point where you're losing sleep? to the point where you feel it in your gut, to the point where you avoid people at work because you're afraid of what might happen. Have you ever felt that level of being consumed by a fear? And when you become consumed by it and fighting, worrying about it on all your own effort, guess what ends up happening? You end up becoming consumed and exhausting all your energy on something that you ultimately can't control, and then you lose sight of taking responsibility for the things you can control. Isn't that amazing? All your energy and resources get diverted to a thing that's ultimately beyond your control. And then you lose sight of the things that you actually can control. In fact, you lose sight of the one who is ultimately in control, like a dried-up desert bush fighting for our survival on our own strength. Could this be the, this is why God invites us into a, a better battle, a better battle not against fear but actually for something else for something that is actually greater than fear for something that fear actually fears not for something that's rooted in some loosely rooted in some future possibility but is actually rooted in the reality of God's loving presence something that is not dependent on my own strength or my own ability to get my way through this but is actually dependent on God the one who is ultimately in control what does that life look like See, fear, there's a, there's a force in the world that fear actually cannot overcome, that fear is not greater than. In fact, it is something that fear itself fears, and that is trust. Fear fears trust. Because trust says, I am taking my strength, my belief in myself, that I can do this, and I'm going to place it in the one who can that I'm not going to become consumed with this future possibility, but I am going to trust the one who is ultimately always in control, the one who is good, the one who is with me, the one who is actually for me. Fear fears trust. Because you are redirecting the attention of your heart on the one who actually created you, knows you, and loves you. And you don't feed that fear anymore. Now, this is a picture that Jeremiah continues to paint for us. So he paints us the little, like, pre-tumbleweed bush in the first one. He goes, let me paint you another picture. Look at this in verse 7, Jeremiah 17, verse 7. But blessed, remember earlier, cursed is the life. God is now saying, but blessed, rich, overflowing is the life of the one who what? Who Trusts. trusts in the Lord. You might want to circle that. Rich, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence, whose hope, who is rooted in him. Goes on to compare another picture, verse 8. They will be like not a desert bush, but a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. Now look at this, look at this. This is a promise from God. This is a promise from God. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It is full of life. Even in the desert sun, it is full of life. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Isn't that, I mean, isn't that a better picture? To be rooted by streams, as the Bible would call it, of living water, where God actually like nourishes your soul rather than feeding your fear. God nourishes your soul. To be rooted in the reality, in the soil, if you will, of trust. So that, and I love what it says, so that, what's the word? Not If heat were to ever come, if storms were to ever come, but no, God says, look, let's live in reality here. Let's not be naive when heat comes. When a year of drought comes. When storms come, when the diagnosis comes, when the divorce comes, when the job ends, when your fear of being alone seems to be validated everywhere you look, when everything seems to be against you, you will not die. You will actually live, and more than live, you will grow, you will thrive. Friends, this is actually a promise from God. You can trust in Him. How much richer and fuller is our life when it is rooted in that reality as opposed to grasping at future possibilities that may or may not come to pass. Wouldn't you rather have your life rooted in the one who is ultimately always in control so that you can not only thrive in seasons of heat and fire and storm, but like bear fruit, give life to others. See, that's the better battle. The battle is not against fear. The battle is for trust. The battle is for trust. Whatever it is that you came in, wrestling with, struggling with, whatever fears are kind of out there for you, do you know that the real battle is not against that and overcoming that and convincing yourself around that? You know that's a failed strategy. You will never win that battle. The real battle is for trust. Will I, do I trust that God is good, that he really is actually good? that he really is with me in all seasons, with me, that he is actually for me, that he is actually greater than, that he is actually greater than all the sum of all of my fears, that even if those things do come to pass, I will be okay in God because of his love for me. This is the battle. It is a battle for trust and whether or not you will trust a good and loving God. And so I want you to think for a moment about whatever those things are. I don't know what they are, but I know that you do. Those things that you're worried about, those things that you're anxious about. If you have kids, you know there's a ton rooted and wrapped up in them, fears that you have about them, about their future. Maybe some stuff around your career, a job. You kind of have this feeling, you ever have this feeling in the office, like, oh, something bad's gonna happen this week, and you're afraid that the other shoe's gonna drop literally on your head? Or that there won't ever be a job that actually is satisfying to your soul. Or maybe for you, there's a fear of failure. In fact, it's been beat into you your whole life. And you've been told again and again and again, and you have fought white-knuckled so hard against that fear of failure to prove it wrong that it has exhausted your life. That fear of being rejected. fear of bringing all of who you are and it not all being accepted. For me, my, my, one of my big fears, I could go on and on, but one of my big fears, my big fears, is that God doesn't have enough for me. That like I'm going to be the last one in line that doesn't get his goodness. It's going to run out before it gets to me. It's a real fear. And you may look at that and go, that's silly, God's totally good. You can't rationalize a reason with that. That's a fear of a future possibility that he might not. And so, When I don't root myself in trust, it becomes my present reality, and I believe he is not good, and he will not take care of me. What is the fear that you are wrestling with? I bet you there's more than one, and I bet you you know it all too well. What would it look like if you were to choose to say today that the battle is not against actually that fear, but it is for something else, and that maybe what you need in those moments when fear begins to kind of rise up to the surface of your soul, maybe what you need in those moments is a better battle cry. A better battle cry other than, I have to, you're not going to win this time, or I give up. That's a terrible battle cry, by the way. What if you had (laughs) a better battle cry that you could cry to help you fight this better battle that God's invited you into? What if there was a prayer that you could make your own when you feel that fear coming, that you can say, no, 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 no. I know against all of these fears, against what may be coming, against future possibilities, I know this, in the face of this fear, I am free. I'm free actually. I'm a tree planted by the stream. My life draws from the living water of God. My roots go deep into him. No matter what storm may come, no matter what drought may come into my life, no matter what circumstances or future possibilities become my present reality, I am free because I am rooted in him. I choose to trust him that he is greater than my circumstances and his plan for my life is far better than anything I've fought against my whole life. I am going to fight for trust can you imagine what that might look like when that fear rises up and guess when it's going to rise up the second you walk out these doors and it's probably sitting with you right now and you want to believe you want to believe and you're trying to fight against it and fight against it this is where the battle really happens and here's the good news it's already won it's already won god has already defeated death god has put sin in its place there is nothing left for God to do. The battle and the choice is yours. Will you trust God? We saw this yesterday with our son, Elijah. He, um, on Friday, he showed me he had this, he had this thing, this little, like, infection on his hand. And he's like, Dad, what do you think this is? I'm like, I don't know. And, and Jeannie wasn't there. I'm like, he's like, what should I do? I'm like, oh, let's just put a Band-Aid on it. Uh, <laughs> That's that's as much as I had parenting wisdom in that moment. And so we did. He was kind of fine. And then yesterday morning, he came downstairs. He's like, "Uh, it's bigger. It's not better. And so Gene and I kind of looked at it. We're like, oh, buddy, I think that's a spider bite. I think, like, some of you have a fear of spiders, so now you're going to have to work through that with God. It's all right. Because I think it's a spider bite. I don't know how you got it in the middle of your hand, but you did. And so, but we'll make sure. And so we have some friends who are doctors and nurses. And so we reached out, called them, texted them, sent them a little picture, which I won't show you. And they, they're like, yep, it's a spider bite. And you got to get, get that out. Like that, that's infection. You know this, you got to get it out. And so we reasoned with Elijah and said, hey, buddy, we're going to have to get that out. Okay, pal, it won't take long. It won't, we're we're going to take care of you. You're going to be fine. He was like, I, no, I, I mean, essentially he said, I want a second opinion. Like he didn't want... <laughs> So, like, we did the hot compress, you know, whatever that does. And so we heated up a towel and put it on his hand, and 30 minutes later, it was still there. And so I'm like, okay, buddy, we got to do this. And now he's starting to get scared. He's my boy. He's scared. And so he's he's crying. He's like, Dad, I don't want to, like, just, just leave it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'm like, no, honey, it's not. In fact, the doctor told us, like, what we have to do is, like, I can give you two choices. We can either, like, pinch it or we can poke it with a pen. That didn't help. <laughs> it didn't help. Freaked him out all that much more. He's like, oh, I don't want that. Like, that's gonna really hurt. And then he's really, now he's like, I don't want that, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna hurt, he's crying, he's just, you know, because it's, he's scared. Yeah. And so, the, so then I go, well, let me show you what happens if we don't, and I went online. <laughs> this really happened showed a bunch of pictures of infections from spider bites. That did not help any of us. That didn't help. None of us were doing well after that. So he fought and fought and fought. And then this is maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And I'm to the point of breaking. This is our boy. We love him. And he's scared. And so finally, with the shaking hand, he kind of puts it out and he holds and squeezes Jeannie's hand. He's kind of looking into hers, holding on to her as I go to, you know, take care of this infection. And this is what, isn't this so true of fear? So we finally got to that point and I did it. And he goes, tell me when it's over. Tell me when it's over. I said, son, it already is. I already did it. It's done. I already got it out. It's clean. And we put a little medicine on him. I gave him another Band-Aid because that's what I'm good at. And so... <laughs> He went on about his day, and it just hit me, knowing where God was leading us this weekend. Isn't that so like me? Isn't that so like us? Whatever it is, I'm so afraid, I'm so afraid, I'm so afraid, I'm so afraid of being a failure, I'm so afraid of being alone, I'm so afraid of not having a career that is satisfying to me, I'm so afraid of this relationship coming to an end, I'm so afraid of committing to this relationship and finally moving forward, I'm so afraid, I'm so afraid, I'm so afraid. And God goes, yep, that is you, Jarrett." Jared. And isn't that so like me? A loving father who says to you, I've got you. I'll take care of you. You've never been outside of my hand. You've never been outside of my love. And I I long to know and fight that battle with God of choosing to trust a perfect parent, of choosing to trust a loving God who has yet to fail me who has yet to not come through for me. That's the better battle. In fact, the Bible says that when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, through Jesus, his death and resurrection, which we're anticipating through this Lenten season, this is what happens. Our whole identity changes. This is not just sort of shifting our beliefs, although that does happen. Your whole identity changes when you come into a relationship with God. In fact, what the Bible says, what God says is true of you when you enter into a relationship with him through what Jesus has done through the cross and through the grave, this is what happens to you you become his son, you become his daughter. You are actually rescued from the slavery bondage of fear and brought into a loving relationship in the family of God. In fact, Romans 8.15 says it this way, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you go back and live in fear all over again. The spirit that you receive that we celebrate in Brittany's baptism it's not a spirit of fear so that you're enslaved once again to those old fears. But rather, the spirit you received brings about, brought about your adoption. That you were literally chosen by God, fears and all. Yeah. Brokenness and all. Fully loved by God and brought into his family. And then there's this ancient Aramaic word that's used here. It's one of the most intimate words you can say. So that we can cry out Abba, which means Daddy. In the face of my fear, I can say, Father, Abba, Daddy, you are actually who's in control. I have a perfect parent, a loving God. And my battle is not against whatever fear I may face, and I will face them, but it is for trust. Do I trust you? So I want to lead us through a time of prayer and response, and we're going to respond in a moment by singing a song that declares that truth, that you are no longer a slave to fear. You are actually a child of the living God, chosen by Him and perfectly loved by Him. And so as we come to that response, I'd encourage you maybe to open up your hands and just start naming what you already know to God and what He already knows about you, but it's good to say it. What are the fears that are occupying your soul right now? What are the places where you have been fighting against, trying to convince, trying to white-knuckle your way through and you realize it's left you like a, a desert bush. What would it look like for you today to say, God, I choose in the face of this fear to trust you. I'm gonna root myself in you and let your living water satisfy my soul and calm my fears in the presence of your love. So let's just pray together right now. God, that is our heart and that's our desire and that's really what we need your help to do. We come to the one who's already won. It's already done. I mean, the the battle is literally already won. We just got to choose to fight our own battle of trust. And God, we have all of our lists. We have all of our lists of all our fears and all of our lists against why we need to not believe in those fears or why those things probably will happen. God, would you just free us even from all of that and bring us back to this simple, singular reality that you gave your son so that we could be your sons and daughters. You adopt us into your family so that we can call you Abba, Father. You don't know us or see us as slaves, but you delight in us as your children. You desire us. And so help us to do the same this next moment, we pray. Help us to delight in you, to desire you to choose to walk out of here with a better battle cry, that we are free even in the face of fear because we are rooted in you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, Abba, Father, we pray. Amen.